Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. Hello. And joining Haley and I today is clinical psychologist Carmen Thulin. Carmen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, Ryan and Haley. It's really nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we are thrilled to have you. Um, we're, we're so grateful for you to come on the show and share your experience because this is going to be the third episode um, in which we talk about in treatment from HBO. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I think we are, I won't say all talked out with Dr. Brooke Taylor. We have a lot of opinions about Dr. Taylor and the patient that we'll be talking about with her this week, Layla. But we felt like bringing on uh, you, Carmen, with some of your own experience and expertise would really kind of help us get a sense of what's happening with Dr. Taylor and Layla in this series of episodes. So thank yeah. you so much for coming on the show with us today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to talk about Layla. Yeah, basically, Ryan and I uh, realized that we were too white to understand the Black experience, and that comes up quite a bit in this episode. <laughs> Um, And so we thought it would be helpful to speak to somebody who actually has experienced what these two characters have experienced. Yeah, well, thanks for thinking of me. And, um, you know, of course, I can share my my bit of experience and what I know. And um, yeah, there's so much diversity even within the Black experience, but I'm happy to share. Absolutely. Well, we greatly appreciate it. So, so uh, Carmen, if you wouldn't mind actually um, sharing with us a little bit about uh, your experience, so what it is that you do. I know you're a clinical psychologist, but share with us a little bit about, about your experience and background, and then we'll jump into Dr. Taylor and Layla. Sure. So, yeah, I am. I feel like I can't not say that I went to grad school with Haley. Elephant <laughs> <laughs> in the room. That's so funny. Yes, we're good friends. (laughs) (laughs) So I have been in um, inpatient settings, community mental health settings, and now I'm in private practice. I've kind of narrowed my practice more than I thought I would. So I do mostly trauma work, a lot of work with people along the dissociative spectrum, and identity work. So some of that within and outside of personality stuff. Fantastic. Well, we appreciate that background, which is certainly a little bit different from from mine. I don't know how much that mirrors um, some of your background, Haley, but um, I definitely appreciate. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so so Carmen, we're going to jump in um, right after this break. So I'm going to thank you again, and when we come back from break, we are going to dive into in treatment, Doctor Robert. I almost said Dr. Haley. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that that's your automatic reaction. (laughs) Well, we, yeah, that's how much we've reinforced that Haley is a doctor. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Brooke Taylor and her uh, patient Layla, right after this break. Hey everyone, Ryan here. No ad this week, but a quick request. We would love to know where you follow us. So if you wouldn't mind taking 10 seconds while you're listening to today's episode, reach out to us on your social media of choice. Say hi, say what's up, request an episode topic. We would love to hear from you. And now back to the episode. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. 
All right, guys, in treatment, season four, episode, several episodes um, over the course of the season with Dr. Brooke Taylor and her third patient in this series, Layla. So we're introduced to Layla and her grandmother, who has brought Layla in to see Dr. Taylor. Uh, pretty bluntly, the grandmother sort of introduces Layla to Dr. Taylor, saying that she's decided that she's a lesbian, I believe is how she describes it. <laughs> So right off the bat, you know, we we see that there are some intergenerational issues going on that are going to have to be addressed almost immediately. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> and even those control issues are kind of present right away of like, here's the thing that I want her to work on in therapy. And it's what I've identified as the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a pretty powerful sort of power dynamic, right? Because the the person sort of initiating the therapy is not the person in therapy. And it's also, that person is also sort of dictating, here's what she needs to work mm-hmm. on, is sort of how the grandmother is identifying the problem. And I think, happily, uh, we, we see that Dr. Taylor doesn't necessarily immediately follow the grandmother's lead, but is mm-hmm. is sort of immediately sort of opening things up for Layla to introduce herself and to identify what the problem is. And we pretty quickly find out that it's, it's not that at all. There's a way more stuff going on mm-hmm. um, than we were initially led to believe, and probably more than grandmother even knows from what we can tell. Well, certainly more than the grandma knows. Grandma's surprised. What I found was really interesting was as soon as Layla had an identity that was not in line with what grandma wanted her to have, she immediately was like, okay, well, we're going to go get this fixed. Yeah, it's it's pretty fascinating. And I'm sure both of you have been in similar situations where you have someone brought into treatment, more or less involuntarily, (laughs) and you're sort of given one set of expectations of, you know, this is, this is why this person is here. And then you know, once the conversation starts, it becomes pretty clear that, yeah, that might be part of the story, but there's a lot more going on that, you know, either the person who was initiating the treatment either doesn't know about or, you know, doesn't value in the same way as the person who might actually be taking advantage of the opportunity to use the time. And we have a lot of those sort of references of Layla sort of not being sure like what she's supposed to say, like, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do here? And mm-hmm. I think that's that's another sort of sign of someone who really isn't in control and maybe isn't exactly interested in sort of, you know, taking advantage of the opportunity in front of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like she's never been empowered. And so to have this space that's all hers is threatening, like so unfamiliar that it's uncomfortable. Yeah, she doesn't have the skills for it. Yeah. How do you guys think Dr. Taylor does that sort of trying to make that comfortable? Because obviously there are some initial roadblocks with that. I think she could have done a better job. I don't know. (laughs) I think I worked so differently from Dr. Taylor. But it's okay to say, like, here's how therapy goes. And here's what some people do. And here's Mm -hmm. here are my boundaries. And, you know, I'm interested Mm -hmm. in what you want to work on. Like, that's okay to do. Yeah. Instead of that, like, kind of, like, more passive approach. Which is interesting because with Eladio and Colin, Brooke brings up, like, this is called countertransference. And this is called, you know, blah, blah, blah. And explains therapy in those ways. But in none of these episodes does she ever explain, like, this is the concept of therapy in general, as we, most of us would in initial sessions or early sessions particularly since Layla is 18. Like grandma doesn't get a say in what therapy looks like. Sorry, grandma. Like you're, she's an adult. Mm -hmm. One thing I also really did not like was Brooke kind of picked on grandma in order to align with Layla. And I did not like that. Yeah. So was there a specific reference? Because I, I, I'm thinking of a couple different times yeah. that that happened. But was that, are you talking about when grandma was the, still there? The silverware one. Yeah. So like, she was like, do you want to check my silverware drawer too? That's right. And, and then she kind of like looks at Layla to be like, eh, see, (laughs) we both think this is funny. I didn't like that at all. Cause I don't like, yeah, I just didn't like the, the vibe of starting off on those feet. Well, yeah. Well, like splitting is never like a healthy way Mm -hmm. to like form a relationship. Yeah. Totally. Us versus her. So unrealistic. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine that happening in real life. I don't know. I mean, I can imagine it happening, but I couldn't imagine doing it. (laughs) 
doing it that way. <laughs> well, so that's, yeah. So it's interesting because, you know, um, Haley, you mentioned uh, before we started recording that you and I have both worked with adolescents. And I, I've definitely been in this almost exact situation where mom and dad or grandma and grandpa are bringing a kid mm-hmm. in for whatever reason. And then it's our job as the therapist to try to get the kid on board in whatever way you can. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that is more or less aligning in a way that's like, hey, I understand you might not want to be here, but you're whoever, mom, dad, mm-hmm. grandma, grandpa, obviously want you to be here. So how can I help you you know, accomplish something or even just kind of help you be done with this to get them off your back. Yeah. So it's kind of like a much lighter version of what Dr. Taylor does, where it's sort of like a very blunt, obvious, like, hey, look at me making fun of your grandma. Aren't Mm -hmm. aren't we going to be best friends kind of thing? Is that sort of the vibe Mm -hmm. that you were picking up on? Yeah. Like Carmen said, splitting. Yeah. Yeah. And that I think is much less effective. So I think there's a sweet spot in there of, you know, aligning with the the patient, right? Um, especially a teenager, you know, against the the perceived forces that sometimes mm-hmm. teenagers find themselves up against. But, but yeah, the splitting thing, especially when it's that obvious, is really much less likely to be effective, especially in the long term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we see. Layla immediately kind of it felt like for me like go for the shock value of <laughs> oh I'm gonna try to tell you something that you think you've never heard before and then you're gonna be so overwhelmed that you won't know what to say or you won't want to work with me <laughs> and I thought that was both one funny but two like I think that that is also something that happens a lot yeah. in therapy is people sort of expect that oh I'm I'm going to I'm going to shock this this therapist or they're not going to know what they heard when I tell uh-huh. them what I've been through or what I'm dealing with right mm-hmm. yeah i feel like that's what's so useful in therapy is right normalizing mm-hmm. is like therapy 101 because you get to let people know you know like actually this is how most humans would respond in your situation but no one has that experience we all feel so alone in whatever's wrong with us mm-hmm. or whatever we feel is wrong with us And I think that Brooke handles that really well because she's like so unaffected by what what Layla's doing. Like she's kind of like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, we can talk about you having a sex addiction if that's what you want to talk about. Like, what do you think a sex addiction is? And Layla is like, what, you don't believe me? And she's like, I... I don't really sure. Like I don't have an opinion about it. Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Which I thought was like a really good way to handle that. Well, yeah, for sure, because immediately it's like, oh, you're not going to be like my grandmother who's shocked and appalled at the mere suggestion of me being attracted to or in a relationship with another woman. So maybe I can talk about this stuff or maybe it's not such a big deal and we can kind of get through the the expected shock value of it. Yeah, I, feel, I thought that was a good example of like a healthier trust building from Dr. Taylor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the trust building is so important with with adolescents. Obviously, it's it's important with all patients to be able to do the work. But there's something about the and 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 Haley in your notes, you put this sort of uh, Gen Z patients being so obsessed with generational differences, which I thought was a hilarious note to make. <laughs> all because... my Gen Z patients are so obsessed with ger- generational differences. <laughs> like they're always you like, "Oh, you're such a millennial." From other generations, though. <laughs> I truly like did not ever know like the concept of different generations like I knew that there were like older people and then there was me and my friends but like my Gen Z patients are like oh you're a millennial therefore your behaviors are such and boomers their generation is such and but and I'm like I what (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. my like my Gen Z patients definitely are very much like literally I've had patients go like oh you're such a millennial and I'm just like my Mm. what (laughs) Also, that's accurate. I absolutely am a millennial. (laughs) So very descriptive, like well done. (laughs) I feel like Gen Z is so good, right? They're just so much better educated about social issues and social dynamics than our generation was. Far more. It's fun to see, I think, yeah. Some would argue that they've been forced to be. Right. Oh, sure. Yeah you know, forced to deal with sort of more adult issues than certainly I did mm-hmm. at that age. Yeah. 
but yeah, so we we see this sort of trust building, right? And um, you know, generational differences or not. And I don't know if it was this episode or the next one where you know Dr. Taylor sort of again uses this technique. It seems like she has of almost like coming out of the session, like come with me into the kitchen. I think she basically mm-hmm. says at one point, yeah, as a way to kind of break the the sort of tension that has built up in some of this initial conversation and mm-hmm. just sort of just talk which mm-hmm. we know as therapists that the work is still happening but mm-hmm. now because it's over a kitchen table instead of you know the couch that there's a different dynamic at play what did you guys think about that I liked that move mm-hmm. I Same. I think it has merit you know like right again like a way to show that she's down without being like boundary breaking or splitting you know that she can be flexible and fun mm-hmm. and and chill Yeah, I also think that with treatment like this where Layla doesn't really want to be there, if you keep it really formal, which is funny, like all the other episodes I've talked about, like the boundaries need to be very clear. (laughs) In treatment like this with like someone who's younger, I think kind of breaking that you sit on the couch, I sit in the chair. I'm the person with power. I'm talking at you. And by saying like, you know what, let's just go like fiddle with some peeps in the kitchen. That sounds really dirty. (laughs) Let's go eat some peeps in the (laughs) kitchen. Like, I think it's, it, it's like, I always tell my, the, the parents of my teenagers, I'm like, talk to them when you're in the car because they can like look out Mm. the window and they can like do something else. Like teenagers, get really stressed out about like you looking at them in the eye and trying to talk to them, give them something else to do, whether it's a game or drawing or sitting in the kitchen, eating peeps, like whatever it is, kind of give them an out of the like formality of adult discussion. Mm -hmm. Well, also I think there's, I'm thinking this for the first time, but right. Like if an adult was just like approaching an adolescent or a child and just like starting a very deep conversation, <laughs> the kid should have boundaries about that. Yeah. A little freaked out by it. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And it's funny, Haley, because you and I have talked about Dr. Taylor's house being the setting for her work, obviously a little while now, but this was the first time that I thought about it in a positive sense where it was mm-hmm. like, okay, if you could design a modern therapy setting, mm-hmm. right? And let's just assume everything was confidential and it wasn't your actual living space. Like, I feel like there would really be some benefit from like, hey, you know what? Let's let's go over here. Let's go into the yeah. gym area and stretch while we talk. Or let's go over here into yep. the kitchen and get a glass of water and stand or sit on stools and talk. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like there definitely is some value to the change in setting, the change in context, and especially with kids, obviously, you know, responding to things like play therapy, that there's so much value in that sort of a shift that Mm -hmm. like, this was the first time I actually saw Dr. Taylor using it and it being effective and me being a little jealous of the ability to do that. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Because wouldn't you love to take your patients for a walk in the woods or something sometimes? Yeah. You're making me want a practice with a kitchen in it. Yeah. No, me too. Like imagine making cookies, right? With a 12 year old. Like that would be because A, it Uh, like is teaching them basic like rule following skills and communication mm -hmm. skills and like that kind of stuff. But also like it's giving such an alternative talking space like I when I worked at a school there was one kid who was always getting in trouble for like acting out in class and so if I asked him to sit across from me and just talk to me like he would go insane so we used to like go to the like far basketball court and we would shoot hoops while we talked yeah that's great it was so nice because it gave him space to make fun of me and it also gave me space to like cheer him on and then also like it's easy to talk. And then when it would get uncomfortable, he could bounce the ball, you know? So definitely I agree. Like if a practice you could, especially such a nice kitchen like that, that would be so yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's like there so much therapeutic benefit in that. I'm thinking of like, you know, mm-hmm. an EMDR, they'll say throw a ball to ground. Oh. Things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's probably some cultural things at play here too, where, you know, your your recognition of a comfort zone or a room that would sort of 
kind of like loosen things up for someone a little bit more than like the obvious like you're on the couch because we're having a very serious conversation about your conduct, young lady kind of mm-hmm. vibe that it probably has with with Layla and her grandmother, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the idea, the broader idea of decolonizing mental health, mm-hmm. right? Like whatever we can do to take down the power dynamic that we kind of inherited that model of like, mm-hmm. I sit in the chair, you sit on the couch. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And also like, I think in the moments where we can't take it down or yeah, I guess it, it, like in certain moments, acknowledging that it's there, right? If you can't take it down, acknowledging that it's there, I think is also really important. And and I think that that's easier to do sometimes. It's easier to have the conversation sometimes if the dynamic isn't set up by the room. I don't know. But with Colin, we saw that it was easier to talk mm-hmm. because it was set up by the dynamic. So I don't know. Yeah, but I think this is to say that we we see Dr. Taylor doing the work of therapy a little bit more uh, effectively with Layla. And that that comes up a little bit in, you know, later weeks as well. So I thought maybe it was a, it's a good opportunity for us to kind of get into the some of the detail of what Layla's really dealing with. Haley, you mentioned she kind of comes right out of the bat and says sex addiction. We learn about her relationship with a oh, much too a young. couple years younger. Yeah. Girl with her uh I guess they go to high school together, right? Mm-hmm. And freshman and senior, right? And then we learn about some of the the family dynamics that are at the heart of, you know, how Layla sees herself, right? Whether it's through the the lens of racial differences, privilege, all these sorts of things, and how they've affected Layla, kind of getting to where she is today, which is sort of like wanting to escape the whole world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all that stuff coming together, and I thought of this when I think when Carmen, you acknowledged like this is some of the work we would do in like an initial evaluation. Like we don't, of course, see like a standard evaluation in a television show because it would be an hour to two hours, and it would be probably pretty dry. But that is an important sort of boundary setting and goal setting exercise. So, and this is for both of you. You know, what do you think? would be the specific goals that either Layla would identify or maybe Layla and Dr. Taylor would come up with together? Like what would their goals for treatment be? Because I kind of struggled having a sense of that throughout their work together. Well, I think that would also change as time passes. Sure. I know it's hard to only see six sessions, you know, yeah, like that That course. in itself is kind of unrealistic. But for Layla, I think identity development is so Mm. so Mm -hmm. central right she has she's been abandoned by her mother Mm -hmm. she has a very absent father and a misattuned grandmother like she does not have a safe place to to identify herself Mm -hmm. so right like if she could have that foundation I think that would have changed a lot for her yeah right and that is not work that would be done in six sessions right yeah (laughs) I'm not gonna crack that again so quickly yeah to be kind of devil's advocate a little bit for me the like progression of their treatment over the six weeks feels real if Mm. Layla did truly jump in with this much like passion about her feelings and like willingness to share it I do think that this could happen now I'll also argue that they don't get to like do the the solidifying or the like processing part of it because she leaves right but i do think they are able to like bring up really meaningful questions of identity that Mm -hmm. are totally the questions that she needs to have brought up but i don't know that i don't know that that most people will come in that fiery (laughs) like that that like ready to talk about that kind of stuff but also Mm -hmm. It might also be because for the it sounds like for the first time ever, Layla does have an adult allowing her to have that space. And so that may play a role in it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to her being um, like I wrote intellectualizer in my notes. Yes. Right? Like she she's she's an overthinker. She's probably right. She knows all of these things. She she got the young reference, you know, like she's. Uh-huh been thinking in these ways about herself, you know, and now she has the space to kind of really work in it. Yeah. 
That intellectualizer thing, absolutely right. Like Brooke asks her, what is love? And she goes, well, I don't know the definition. And I was like, girl, <laughs> like, yeah. there's no, there's no definite, right? It was love that she asked. Oh, she said, I don't know what it means. I've never looked it up. I was like, girl, come mm-hmm. on now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought they did a really good job with Layla's character because if you live in that kind of pressure, all of the teenagers uh-huh. are competing with each other, that kind of environment, it really does look that way sometimes. Absolutely. And also she is just forced to um, to be more constantly. Like whatever she is, she needs to do more. And then what ends up happening is she ends up regressing to be less in her own time, right? So the time that is her own, mm-hmm. she hangs out with Kara, who's four years younger than her, and she plays Barbie dolls. And she goes into these fantasy worlds, which for you, Carmen, would be kind of dissociative exploration area and I think that that's not surprising because she's basically it's like preschoolers who like keep it together at school the whole day and then come home and have an absolute meltdown because they've just been doing all the things Mm -hmm. all day at preschool I feel like that's a little bit like Layla she's doing all the things and as soon as she has a moment to herself she kind of goes to the easiest place which is this kind of make-believe childlike place Mm-hmm. Yeah, and having to use so much restraint, like she never gets to be honest around, you know, those same emotions that are busting out in the session are just simmering yeah. under the surface the whole time she's with her grandma and dad. Mm-hmm. Well, she even mentions at one point that when she's hooking up, because it's like not clear how much sex she is or is not having, but like at one point where she's cooking up with someone, she's like, oh yeah, I th- I'm thinking about my grandma. And I'm like, gosh, she can't even have her own space in her sexuality, like her, not even yeah. just her sexuality, but like literally her sex life. Like she's thinking of grandma. That That's how much control grandma has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting too, that she had, I think it, at one point she says she's hooked up with three people, but none of them were Kara. Mm-hmm. Yep. That that relationship, it, that's who she's in love with, but it's just so, it's so not about ro- romance or sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. And Carmen, you mentioned, um, or maybe Haley mentioned it about sort of your, your background, the sort of identification of some of this as dissociation, sort of what she does with Kara. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, especially for our listeners who may not know what dissociation is. So when you're hearing you know, sort of what Layla's experience is like, especially with Kara and, you know, some of the sort of fantasizing and things going on there. Sort of what are you seeing or what are you interpreting that as? Yeah, so I see dissociation, right? We learn about it in that context of trauma, fight, flight, Mm -hmm. freeze, or appease, right? And it's this mental flight, right? You're literally leaving mentally because you can't leave physically. Mm -hmm. So we see like, really obvious versions of of dissociation whenever there's, you know, horrific experiences that people can't physically escape from. So especially traumas that happen in childhood. Mm -hmm. But you do see dissociative tendencies work and build up. They generalize really quickly, but I see it start from people who are criticized frequently as well, right? Or if there's early and frequent relational trauma, your brain Mm -hmm. learns to take you away from this intense emotion, emotional and relational experience that you have no skills to handle and just makes you feel terrible, you know? And so it's reinforced and it builds up over time and it becomes something that just happens without you even knowing it. Yeah. And can intellectualizing be a version of dissociation? Because anytime anything hard comes up, she immediately jumps to like research or definitions or things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's such a, a useful defense because it's it provides a sense of safety re- to retreat to. Mm-hmm. Here's this book, or here's right this this body of research, or this renowned author that mm-hmm. I can frame my experience in instead of me sitting with the experience because I still have never developed the skills to do that or to feel mm-hmm. okay doing that. Well, and she's not allowed to, right? Eventually, she ends up saying, like, love is noticing and paying attention. It's not about fixing or guiding. And because every time she has any kind of experience mm-hmm. of her own, she's told how she needs to fix it or change it or do it the way her grandma would do it. So she's mm-hmm. 
it's not safe to have feelings of her own because they're immediately going to be fixed, which means they're inherently broken. Right, right. Like disapproved of, minimized. Yeah, there's there's never any opportunity for her to say like, oh, this is what I do with feeling empty or disconnected or, yeah, yeah, unwanted. Yeah, and it's a sort of idea of, um, and I think it's sort of noted in, in a couple different episodes, but Layla's fear of failure, fear of, you know, the idea that she can't fail mm-hmm. for all these sort of preconceived notions, whether because of her privilege or her family, or, you know, I think even at some point during the, the conversation they're having about being black women, the mm-hmm. sort of idea of what failure means for them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously, those are some really intense conversations. And they're not, I'm, I'm imagining if Layla was with a white male therapist, like that's not a conversation that would have been able to have been had in the same way. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, for both of you, you know, obviously, we see Layla get a lot of value, it seems like from having someone who can relate their own experience as Dr. Taylor does kind of open up and self-disclose some of her own experience. Mm -hmm. But we also see the sort of pain that both of them share Mm -hmm. with those experiences. Mm -hmm. Well, and also, I think it's in the the last week, grandma ends up saying like, the best defense in this skin is excellence. And so like, I was thinking mm -hmm. of that, like, A, it's required of you. And then B, like, for Brooke, like, does that then come with this sense of this is how it had to be rather than this is what I did for myself. You know, like I I get, I don't really know what I'm asking. I did see that. I thought there was a parallel between Brooke's experience with her dad and Layla's experience with her grandmother, right? Of like, Mm -hmm. you have to be perfect. You have to achieve at this extremely high level and right. will will inadvertently neglect your mental health and self identity in the process. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm imagining that for Layla to be able to have that related experience shared provides a lot of value. And it's not that if she hadn't had that, you know, related back to her that they couldn't have still kind of made some of the progress that they did. But yeah, it's it's so I have to imagine it's so valuable to be able to kind of have that experience, you know, as a patient kind of, you know, when we when we mm-hmm. are in practice, you know patients certainly are, are looking for, you know, not necessarily their exact shared experience, but someone who's going to understand what they've been through, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's invaluable. You know, like, it makes me think of Dr. Joy DeGruy's work, post-traumatic slave syndrome, right? But there are a whole league of, right, generational issues that, mm-hmm. um, and lived daily experiences that only another Black person is going to understand and know right. how it feels and how it operates on you over time. You know, and we talk yeah. about therapy as a safe space. That's such a great shortcut, honestly, mm-hmm. to a safe space for, yeah. Yeah. Well, and she says in the second week, the tension, the worrying, the stress, the world is a hate crime. So here's Mm, a a, a young woman who turns to escape and control as her ways of handling tension, worry, and stress. And she's trying to escape her family. And she's trying to escape the hate crime that is this world. And like, where do you go if you everywhere you turn, that's the oppression that you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And so then to not have to feel it, but I mean, you still feel it, but, you know, not have to feel it within relation to your therapist, I think must be very relieving. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, even other providers, you guys know, there's such a history between black people and healthcare in general, Mm -hmm. that having a black provider really does open a door that would otherwise be shut to a lot of people. Yeah, just because of that sense of safety and you know wanting to be understood accurately, right? And and obviously there are still questions that can be asked and and feelings that can be opened up and reflected. But there is, in in many cases, you know, no substitute for what Dr. Taylor is able to do for Layla and the sort of experience that's able to be shared between them. So you know, again, I think this is some of the best work that Dr. Taylor does and sort of being sort of judicious and when to 
do that sort of self-reflecting uh, self-disclosure and when not to and when to really keep the focus on Layla. An episode, I want to say it's the fifth mm-hmm. session between the two of them, you know, is a really interesting uh, I don't know how I would describe it as a technique, but just sort of watching the two of them go back and forth when they're trying to kind of get a sense of Layla's identity. Who are you? What's Loves important to episode. you? All these sorts of questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's fascinating to watch uh, what really felt like a, a therapist in full control of uh, of a session, not in a in a bad way, but just like I know exactly what you need right now, uh-huh. um, mm-hmm. and we're gonna we're gonna do this together. Yeah. Well, speaking of Carmen yeah. mentioned like the history that black folks have with the health industry at the end of that session, and then we'll get mm-hmm. back to how good it was. But at the end of that session, oh, sure. Layla says therapy is some white nonsense that invents problems that you didn't have to begin with. So even when it is a black patient with a black therapist, the history of therapy is a white world. Right. And so even in, in the room, yeah. yeah, even in the room, they still have to deal with the oppression and the prejudice of the history of treatment. And like, for example, autism, which is something that I have worked with a lot in the past, is all the standards are set on white boys. And so it doesn't look the same in black boys. It doesn't look the same in girls of all colors. Um, and yet, we're like, oh, well, they don't have autism because they don't meet these standards, but those standards are white boy standards. And what's interesting mm-hmm. is I've worked with a couple boys who were black who ultimately did get autism diagnosis. And now when I see boys presenting a certain way, I'm like, ooh, have we tested them for autism? Because this mm. is what it looks like in a black boy. And people be like, well, how can you tell? And I'm like, honestly, just experience. Like we don't have any diagnostic criteria at this time that I could like point to for you. Mm -hmm. Oh, that would be really interesting to look at because I'm just thinking about, right. Like, like black culture is so like, it's so social and socially aware that Mm -hmm. I wonder about, right. Like that's got to modify the course of Mm -hmm. autism yeah, in ways that we don't understand yet. Yeah. So I have a friend who has, she's um, a black woman and she comes from an all black family and her brother has um, pretty severe autism. And what she said is she's like, in black culture, you're not allowed to not keep up. She's like, he Mm -hmm. didn't, he wasn't allowed to like not say hello. He wasn't allowed to not look people in the eye. Like that's just not allowed. Mm -hmm. And so, so she's like, he learned those skills. And she's like, so when one of the things is like, can you make eye contact? People go, yes. But like he couldn't originally. He just was essentially like behaviorally trained essentially to do it. Whereas in white culture, there's a little bit more like, oh, well, he just doesn't really like making eye contact. So just let it go. Which she was saying like, that doesn't fly, at least in her family. Yeah, I think there's just mores about that, right? Like, if I if I walked into certain rooms and didn't say mm-hmm. hello, I would be checked on that literally immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, and every kid would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you can't speak. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. and another thing that was that was trained with with Layla more or less was this sort of culture of how authority figures treat children. Uh-huh. Uh, let's put it that way, because you know it, it comes up sort of very sneakily in one of their earlier sessions, but then it becomes more and more clear that Layla has had some pretty specific experiences with, you know, however we wanted to call it, corporal punishment, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. being hit, and then sort of expecting that almost from Dr. Taylor because of the sort of intensity of some of the conversations or the intensity of the things that Layla was sharing with her, that, that was, she was expecting to be hit because of the mm-hmm. way she was talking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of expectations being dealt with sort of in that active relationship being played out between Brooke and Layla. And, you know, again, I thought those those were, were handled very well. What did you guys think about the sort of discussion around, you know, some of that abuse that Layla experienced? I think, well, I have, I'm of two minds. I think Dr. Taylor did a good job kind of like feeling it out. And this is where, right, you need more time with a person. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, because I 
I almost feel like an ethical or moral responsibility to like, what if I see something plain, right? Like you experienced index trauma, that is your right to know, period. Uh-huh. You know, like I would have said that explicitly or introduced mm-hmm. it at some point, that idea. A line that, that Brooks said that I feel like kind of, again, it's, she's more indirect than like you and I would be, but a line that she says, I don't remember exactly how it comes up, but it is related to like Layla's white peers not having corporal punishment. Brooke says, they have a freedom that you will never know. Mm-hmm. And to me, that kind of says like you have a trauma that other people simply have never had to experience. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's right. That's really broad, too. I mean, we can talk about it in terms of spanking, but right, spanking is rooted in and also race, right? Like 200 years of of slavery, where that was a means of right, like, it's Mm -hmm. literally built into our bodies that that's a way to control and Mm -hmm. right, black people have used it to make their kids safe, Mm -hmm. right? You Mm -hmm. can't, there's no one time mess up. And I'll ground you and you'll think about it and then and then we'll move on. That one time of messing up might mean you're dead and game over. Yeah. So what are <laughs> feel free to speak for the entire culture. Um, what are your <laughs> thoughts on like in today's world where there are like a like black person still needs to be scared of white authority or just kind of authority in general, right? With police and mm-hmm. um, at school, et cetera, et cetera. And mm-hmm. corporal punishment today in that it's, you know, it's not slavery, but there are still things to be afraid of. Do you think it still kind of works in similar ways or do you think there is space for it to like grow and, and move differently? Oh, yeah, I think we're I think we're working on that. I mean, there are really great sociologists and psychologists who have made thus their life's work, you know, kind of breaking down the the patterns of abuse and trauma, right, mm-hmm. especially around corporal punishment. Mm-hmm. You know, and at the same time, I think of some of those like principles of trauma treatment, which is right, like you can't change uh, a safety behavior rooted in trauma learning if the environment is not safe, Uh you know? So I think as a society, it's going to be like walking with two legs. Like one leg is changing conceptions and parenting strategies in Mm -hmm. black culture. And the other one is right. We actually have to have a safe place for black people. Yeah. That's if we could start there, that'd Mm. be great. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I guess, you know, because I'm, I'm sort of I'm naturally picturing myself working with with Layla, and I think you try to create the same space, you try to ask the same questions as much as you can. You know, and I think if the circumstances were were available, and it was clear that Layla was wanting to work on, you know, let's say issues around her racial identity, you know, and in a perfect world that I would be able to make that referral to you know someone who'd be able to uh, to do that work with her. That's not to say that it couldn't be a white male therapist, but um, would you guys agree that, that, you know, that that would be the ideal circumstance that's sort of, you know, given the opportunity that, that people could have that sort of reflected relationship where they could do that work? Yeah, I think so. The first thing that comes to my mind is Audre Lorde's quote about, right, like if you're explaining your oppression, that is also oppression in action. Mm, sure. So, right, like, it's a privilege to go to therapy and be completely understood and have your therapist and to not be have to even expert, acknowledge expert. it. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's something to that, especially about race-based trauma, race identity that, mm-hmm. yeah. Can you say that, that quote again, please, Carmen? Oh, I was paraphrasing for sure. I think she says explaining your oppression to the oppressor is still a form of oppression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, so my kind of reaction to it is, I think the question then is to ask the patient. So Mm -hmm. for, for, I almost said Brooke, for Mm -hmm. Layla, I think it's fantastic that she has a, um, a black female therapist because she does not have any adult in her life who she can like have understand her and have identify with her. And so I think 
it's like fantastic for her. For mm-hmm. someone else, they might be like, that is something that I want to work on. However, I want to work on it with you because of X, Y, and Z, right? Like I have a relationship with you or I sure. trust you or oh yeah, something like mm-hmm. that. Like something that I said in the Colin episode was I was like so angry that Brooke did not bring up that he was a white man um, until like the last episode, essentially, because I was like, he keeps bringing up how woke he is and he's not. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about it? But then also like, I don't, my mind just went blank. I don't really know where I was going to go with that. But like, I think, you know, if I started to see a patient who was black and kind of identify, like working with their, like their identity, I would like say to them, like, do you want me to do my best to ask you the questions and, and help you through this? Or would you rather work with somebody who can understand your experience more explicitly? And I, I, I personally would ask Mm -hmm. that question that directly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I and I think it's because yeah. so like for instance I have some identity pieces that um, make me different than ninety nine point nine 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 percent of therapists that I have access to, and I have found that sometimes it's like so relieving to find a therapist that matches with that. And then there were moments where I found a therapist like that, and then I was like, oh no, you're applying your stuff onto me, and it's it's actually not the same. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think in some ways, identity sharing with a therapist can be really helpful. In some ways, it can actually be a detriment. Yeah. I mean, I think I really like the stance of asking outright. I also think there's so much good that can be done if you're willing to be to be reflective, right, mm-hmm. in the face of saying something wrong or not getting something right. Like that could is so cathartic and and has so much healing potential. Mm-hmm. You know, not that you have to be perfect or know everything, but just being willing can see that being so beneficial for people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah to say, I don't know. Like, tell me yep. your experience. Mm-hmm. Or I'm sorry. I mean, yeah. can you, can you imagine having all of these right experiences of being misunderstood, minimized, actually blatantly hurt? in a hateful way and then having an experience where you can speak up and say oh that didn't land with me right and here's why and the other person is listening and then apologizes uh-huh. <laughs> yep. that's huge yeah 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 and I think it's because Dr. Taylor creates that space so effectively that that Layla then is able to be honest about you know her intentions to take these trips and you know, the degree to which she's uh, suicidal or mm-hmm. not, they're able to have that conversation. And I think that, you know, I think that was a really valuable thing for an audience to be able to see is sort of the way that a therapist sort of gauges, is it the right time to ask this question? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I saw Haley, you put in your notes that you would have maybe given a little bit more space for that. The, but... Are you thinking of suicide question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She goes, are you mm-hmm. thinking of suicide? And then she gives it one beat and then she starts talking again. I was like, give the girl yep. a second to answer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But that is a difficult moment. Yeah, it is a hard moment. And I think, I don't know, I've done crisis intervention specifically. And mm-hmm. yeah, I just, right, like I don't want people to feel like interrogated or accused, but I also... Mm-hmm want to be really sure that I'm not missing anything. Yeah. And I think you can, you know, if you're working with someone, they can understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. Well, and also she was giving very clear suicide hints. Yeah. That I would have asked the question as well. Like, I was like, are you, what kind of goodbye are you thinking of saying? (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or even her last Instagram post when they didn't know where she was. Yeah. And she was like, farewell. I'm like, oh, no. Yep. <laughs> well, especially right she was like parked by a cliff. <laughs> I was like, what happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they they definitely sort of filmed. <laughs> they definitely sort of set that up to be the sort of cliffhanger uh-huh. of, you know, did uh, did Layla kill yeah. herself, uh-huh. right? Is this is this how this series of, of sessions is going to end? Uh-huh. Carbon, for you having worked in crisis, you know, Haley, for you and I having both worked with teenagers, I don't know about both of you, but uh, my expectation was, 
you know, yeah, it's definitely possible that she ran away. I, I was not expecting her to be in Chile or Peru or, or she was right. She was headed uh-huh. towards the um, Machu Picchu. Mm-hmm. But that was the outcome, at least as it played out in this, you know, series of sessions. What did the both of you think about that? How realistic did it feel? I mean, there's a part, there's a level of like wealth that I, I can, I don't know. I think it's plausible. You know, like money really does grease the wheels. And yeah. she, oh, sure. You know, she had that kind of access. So, mm-hmm. and right, she's a smart kid in terms of like navigating the internet and mm-hmm. those sorts of things. So I, I kind of buy it. I kind of don't. I agree with she has the resources for that too, the, the, the financial and technical resources. I think in like episode four or five where she says like I have – basically she's like I have no street skills. Like I don't know how to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. I don't think she's wrong about that either. And as somebody who has traveled particularly internationally extensively, I don't think she would have been able to do it that easily um, as somebody who doesn't really have independent skills. Mm. Yeah. Again, she's very smart. So I think there's this fine line of like, where did she just need to start believing in herself and then she could start using her smarts um, versus like, does she actually have the day-to-day skills for this particular kind of thing? Um, And again, there's no way for us to know because she's not a real person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess for me, and maybe this is sort of because of my own uh, experiences in working with this age group, right? These sort of 16, 18-year-olds who... I'll hear say things all the time like, I just got to get out of this country or, you know, if I could just get away from my parents for like a month or I'm just going to leave for the summer, Mm -hmm. you know, all these sorts of escape fantasies and whether they are dissociation or um, just sort of like if I won the lottery, this is what I dream about doing someday type of talk. I just feel like I hear it all Mm -hmm. the time. And the idea of one of those kids that I've heard saying that actually making it to South America just feels like totally far-fetched. But all that being said, Layla is different from all of those kids mm-hmm. with a unique set of circumstances. And, you know, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that, you know, someone with her, as we said, sort of resources and, and intelligence could make it that far. Mm-hmm. But then as, as the therapist, to hear that your patient has made it, uh, to your 18-year-old patient has made it to Machu Picchu or, the, or close by, <laughs> you know, what then? <laughs> what, what comes next? Okay, bye. <laughs> Which Brooke is yeah. not yeah. good about. <laughs> and she does the call me anytime thing again. Which yeah, mm-hmm. drives me insane. I'm like, legally, you're like not even technically supposed to be talking to her right now with her in a country that you're not licensed in. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that's what you say. Like, I'm very proud of you. Congratulations. Let me know if you ever want to return to therapy when you're back in the state. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Wish you all the best. And sure. (laughs) And what did you both think of uh, sort of how uh, Dr. Taylor navigated that with Layla's grandmother? Because that was a very tense situation, uh, a one that is not a familiar one, I would say, to most therapists to have a uh, parent or guardian of a uh, patient that you're working with who you fear might be in some real difficulty and actively navigating that circumstance with them in your kitchen nonetheless yeah that whole scene I was just so anxious because right you're Mm -hmm. worried about Layla and you're also Mm -hmm. worried about right like you don't want to violate her confidentiality yep to her grandma either you know Mm -hmm. it's like such a fine line to walk and there's also a fine line of it's chances are grandma's her emergency contact and so there's this like confidentiality piece until they become actively concerned about her. And then there's this like, well, now she's the emergency contact. Mm -hmm. But then also like Brooke is kind of doing therapy with grandma. And I'm like, Ooh, okay. Now, now we're back to this like confidentiality piece slash grandma's not your patient. So like be careful. 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Brooke's ethical boundaries. <laughs> Seriously, like Brooke's sense of ethics and also like her own health. Yes. And how that interferes and, sh- and shows up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was missing for you, Carmen, in, in terms of those boundaries? Like what would you would have hoped or maybe let's let's ask you this a different way. What would you, assuming you saw this, you know, or or maybe Dr. Taylor, you know, communicated these events to you as her supervisor? What would your uh, what would your message to Dr. Taylor be? Tighten it up. That's like that's <laughs> <No>. right. <laughs> You're just like there's so many loose ends that it doesn't it just set you on on edge to watch her. You should have heard me last episode. <laughs> Really? Oh, gosh. I was so angry. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But, right, it's like it's there's something to, like, bending the rule or, right, like, seeing a greater function and an intervention than what, like, a textbook would say. But there's Mm -hmm. it's totally a different thing to just be, like, kind of walking over the line all the time with every client. Yeah. I think we have a responsibility to, like, recognize when we're not when we're not healthy enough to mm-hmm. to show up in, in therapy the way we need to yeah and there's no shame in that I think right that's healthy modeling for us as a profession yeah absolutely and like I think with Eladio it was like very clear that like Brooke's stuff was coming up and so like the boundary breaking was like through the roof in mm-hmm. with Layla I think in general she is like a really good therapist, except every so often there's these like weird boundary things that she does with her that I'm like, D- like, don't, <laughs> you know, like, like if you're trying to teach her to be independent, like, are you allowing for that? And if you're teaching her that she gets to have her own life, but then you're talking to grandma, like what message are you sending there? Um, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A moment that really stressed me out during that that last session was when Brooke was like, oh, I called 911 and I stressed that they bring mental health providers, not the police. And I was like, okay, that's needed, but also like still a risk if you're a person of color and particularly a black person. And I was like, Mm -hmm. ah, like, I don't know who else you would call in this scenario but I was I was like no mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I mean and yeah I think there's such a uh, responsibility whenever you're doing like a wellness check or mm-hmm. you know a, a hold right you're literally infringing on someone's civil rights and mm-hmm. yeah I do not take that I would have I think I would have waited because what are the cops gonna do Right? Like, look around the cliff, and then what? You know, like, there's just... Mm -hmm. And also, you and Grandma can go do that if that's all that you're looking to do. She's already breaking so Mm -hmm. many other boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go look for your granddaughter together. Yeah, sure, why not? Oh, gosh. (laughs) So crazy. Truly. It surely is. And and we could probably talk about some of the, the craziness from this you know, uh, six episodes um, for another before you hour. Jump in, before you jump in, we were going to talk about how good that one episode, the like week five, like how great that moment was. Totally so fair. I really do want to jump back to that because I think that that was yes. a really beautiful moment between Brooke and um, Layla when Layla was walking like back and forth and she was kind of, yeah, pacing. she was pacing yeah. and yeah. she was like working her through like um, when she's like, how do you like your eggs? And she's like, I don't like eggs. And she's great. I prefer cereal anyway. What kind of cereal do you like? And asking her these really like stupid questions. I loved Mm -hmm. that. And then I also loved when she stopped walking. Brooke was like, no, keep walking because that kept her in her body and kept her grounded. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was really beautiful. And then some like, I want to give the writers props when she asked like Beyonce or Solange. Mm. And then she was like, that's like apples or oranges. And she's like, fine, apples or oranges. And then the best line <laughs> of the entire series, Layla goes oranges and Solange. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. that was just like the funniest <laughs> answer. So perfect. So beautifully written. And I was like, yes, this is good therapy. 
Like this is it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for somebody who for two weeks has just been like, Brooke's the worst. <laughs> I really want to give her props for how like beautifully that was done. Yes. For sure. And, and at the same time, you wouldn't see this, if we want to call this an intervention, like in a no. textbook, right? And I think that's sort of the, one of the interesting things for me about therapy is like, you know, if you showed this to a class and somebody said like, oh my gosh, like, what is that intervention? Like, what we what do we call that? How do I do that? How would how would either of you answer that question? Like, what is this? That's oh, yeah. I would say, right, bilateral stimulation, walking. Okay. Yeah, for the sure. Trauma processing, and then I would say, uh, right, like uh, identity development, like reflections yeah. on identity, and right, she's learning to assert herself. You have to start at the stupid things if you've never gotten the opportunity mm. to yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have worked with teenagers whose parents have like made all their decisions for them. And I'll be like, Hey, next week is Thanksgiving. Do you want to cancel or do you want to reschedule? And they'll say like, I don't know, ask my mom. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm asking you. And whatever you say, that's what I'm going to go with. Do you want to cancel or do you want to reschedule? And it's, you know, it's essentially asking what's your favorite kind of cereal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like you get to have an opinion that will be honored. Yeah. Yeah, and that's cru- I think that's crucial too in creating safe space for trauma. But I love giving identity development ex- assignments like do something new and see how you like it, see how you mm-hmm. respond to it. Yeah. You know? Mm. I know. Identity development is my favorite. That's really fun. Yeah. And it's, I think they say it in the show, right? Like you're just helping someone like see what they already know or who they already are. Yeah. Mm. yeah. That's so true. When I do values work, I always say, these have always been your values. We're just putting words to them now. Yeah. I say, this is your thumbprint that you entered the world with. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. And these, these are all really beautiful examples, I think, of the sort of like relationship work that can happen in therapy where we get to this point where we're able to do this because we've gone through and we've we've you know even if it's only been three or four sessions we've gotten deep but we've also gotten personal Mm -hmm. and i think brooke couldn't have done the you know apples or oranges question Mm -hmm. in session one like she needed to get through the kitchen and she needed to get through all these sort of things um and the fact that they were able to get to that moment and that then layla was able to get to Machu picchu and (laughs) contact her therapist and eventually her grandmother you know all these are I would hope signs of growth and we can, we can hope that Layla will continue to, you know, head in some positive directions and presumably continue to do, especially uh, Carmen, as you mentioned, a lot of this trauma and identity work. Yeah. I left feeling hopeful for, for Layla. Good. Me too. Yeah. I was concerned just in terms (laughs) of like, is she coming back or not? But you know, we can, we can hope. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I'm like, is she just going to get, you know, support to live in Peru from her dad? Probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What money can buy. (laughs) All right. So why don't we do some uh, reviews of in treatment uh, with Dr. Brooke Taylor and Layla. Haley, I'm going to let you choose and and set up some of our questions here. Well, Carmen, I think I'm just going to ask you both questions with one rating. And on a scale from one to five designer purses, like the one that Layla tries to sell to Brooke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, Carmen would love her purse. <laughs> I did. I was like, uh, that would be a tough moment for me. I'd be like, yes, I will take that. <laughs> well, even, Not even really. Brooke. Yeah, that's hard to turn down. It was so funny because Brooke was like, I mean, thanks for offering, but I think I'm going to pass. I'm like, that's the exact answer Carmen would have given in that moment. (laughs) Yeah. So funny. So on the scale from one to five designer purses, um, how realistic and how entertaining did you feel that in treatment was with Layla? Mm. Okay. I think it did, right? Even though it's missing like crucial parts. It did do a good job of showing, right, an arc of of sessions, right, mm-hmm. and how they might build off of each other and develop over time. Ryan, you were putting that so well. 
So I give it a three for accuracy, three designer purses. Okay. Can we just say three Chanel bags? (laughs) Excellent. Yes. (laughs) For accuracy. And I give it a five for entertainment. You know, there's good, Mm -hmm. there's really, there's drama throughout, intensity throughout, questions throughout. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they really, they really introduce good ideas that I think are valuable, even Mm -hmm. though they're incomplete. Yeah. And that's entertaining. And it's only six sessions. Yeah. 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 That makes sense to me. So what kind of purses does entertaining get? Oh, we can say like five YSL bags. Excellent. Of entertainment. (laughs) I totally know what that means. (laughs) Me too, Ryan. That sounds very impressive. That's so Um, Can we just quickly mention how well Layla and Dr. Taylor styled through the whole show? That was fun for me. So... It it hasn't come out yet, but in our, I think it was our first episode with Eladio, my scale for Ryan was one to five killer pantsuits. (laughs) Because I was like, like, this woman is styled. Um, So yes, I completely agree. So funny. Yeah. You know, she's wearing a blazer sitting down, buttoned. I was like, that is commitment to the fit. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Well, thanks for joining us, Carmen. What a blast this was. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was so fun. Well, it's absolutely our pleasure. And do you want any of our listeners to be able to find you anywhere? Website, social media, anything like that? Um, you can find me on thecatalystcenterllc.com. And I will be introducing my own practice, which is called Self-Studied. Fantastic. Well, you heard it here. Please go check out Carmen Thulin. Thanks, Carmen, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure, anytime. We hope to have you back on the podcast sometime. This was great. All right, and and Haley, thank you as always as well. I think we have one more episode to get through with in treatment. Yeah, we're going to be looking at Brooke just to round it out and see how her actual stuff truly impacted it rather than what we think was happening behind That's the scenes. Be good. All right. Well, we look forward to that. Listeners, thank you so much for following us along with In Treatment. We hope to get back to some other movies and TV shows in the very near future. Thank you, as always, for sending us your ideas on Mm -hmm. Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Please continue to do that. And thank you, as always, for listening. Bye.